Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Backpack Broadcasting continues to bring you the best original sports content, but now you can get more of the content you love. For as little as $3 a month, you can get access to bonus content, including behind-the-scenes footage and interviews from the Sports Walk, Sideline Stories, or the Ain't Hard to Tell podcast. All this exclusive content comes via Patreon. There are tiered levels of patronage, and each Backpack Broadcasting patron receives exclusive perks. Your support helps Backpack Broadcasting create more of the original content that you love. Visit Backpack Broadcasting's Patreon page and become a patron today. podcast episode 135 still doing the thing from home quarantining staying safe doing what you got to do as all of you people out there should be doing don't be like those states where the numbers are going up dexter henry brian fonseca and another guest for the second time coming back uh my homegirl reporter from abcnews.com doing a great thing out there christina correga what's up christina Everybody, how you doing? I really do hope everybody is social distancing, still wearing those masks. We hope so. I hope so. Some people out here still, you know, most people have seem like they're doing, you know, what they're supposed to be doing. But some people, you see them out here with no masks or nothing. You're like, what are you doing? But uh, yeah. But you sit this. I'm gonna sit this one out because I just got a haircut. <laughs> yeah. Yes. For people watching the podcast, you can see Brian's hair is uh pretty immaculate, sharp line. Yeah, I'm not going there yet. Christina and I, before I mean, this podcast, we were like, we're not doing that. <laughs> I mean, you had to shape up because you know how to do your own hair. But for other people who rely on a barber to get their stuff done, looking kind of tough out there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I that mean, was I, me last week. I yeah. do my own shape ups, like, if I have to. Like, if I'm not, because I'm, I'm not one of these. I don't understand how dudes, and a lot of dudes do this. Dexter, you might do this, actually. Dudes that go to the barber, like, every week or every two weeks, I just can't go that often. I do every two weeks when I normally can. I can't. I just go once a month. I'm like, yo, I'll get by. I can't do that. I do do stuff where I can wear hats, so I'm like... People gotta see me on TV. I can't do that. Well, yeah, yeah, that's the thing. See, <laughs> can't you can't live like you that. Can't, you can't be at AccuWeather, you know, doing nah. a report for AccuWeather and wearing a hat. But for me, it's like, hey, a lot of the stuff I'm doing, I mean, I could just put a hat on. Like, yeah, <laughs> I can't. I put a hat on today because I don't really like take take my afro pick and comb anything out. So I was like, whatever. But that's it, yeah. Christina. <laughs> you're looking, you're looking well. You're doing well. How how has things been for you as a journalist? We've been asking a lot of journalists on here through the pandemic. It's been challenging for everybody. I know you and I have spoken about that, but how have things been for you working, doing what you do through the pandemic? So like Brian, I stayed in the house for the whole entire month of April and it was tough because it's like, oh my goodness, I have to be very careful. If I do step out the house and then I come back in the house, I have to like monitor my symptoms that I probably don't even have. So even if I had like a tickle in the throat, I'm like, oh God, okay, stay in the house for another four days. And it became like paranoia central, right? So I was doing that for that whole month. And then I just said, listen, I got to get out of this house. And it was my mom's birthday. So I came to Brooklyn to see my mom. And then I started doing a schedule of them. Sometimes I'm home. Sometimes I'm in Brooklyn. Sometimes I'm home. Sometimes I'm in Brooklyn. But I keep my 
um, company around me very tight. Like I haven't seen anybody beyond my immediate family since March, I think 12th, if I'm not mistaken. So, you know, reporting from home, I always felt was something, well, actually, let me scratch that. Reporting outside of an office, I always felt is something that journalists should be doing. But at ABC.com, at least, we're in the office all the time reporting from the office. And I would always fight and say, listen, we should be out in the field. You should be meeting these people versus just phone calls and emails. So this situation kind of proves my point to them that we don't have to be in this office all the time. So I think going forward, it's better for me for my argument to not always have to report five days a week. So I'm glad about that. And then for preventing burnout, I guess, is they put us on a work week schedule where one week we're working four days and another week we're working five days. So that's been kind of helpful with all of this going on. But it's right now, as all of this different anti-police brutality has been shining a larger light, you know, in the country, I feel like it's difficult for me as a, a normal street reporter. I want to be out at the protest. I want yeah. to cover it. I want to be there and be on the front lines. But I also don't want to get coronavirus and I don't want to put my family <laughs> at risk. So it's just kind of like this, like, you want to be a part of the revolution, but am I willing to die? Right. <laughs> am I willing to die for this? I'm willing to put up as much as I can, and the way I do it is through journalism. But I feel so pigeonholed, and I feel like such a fraud sometimes, because I really want to be out there for these things. And just writing about it, I think I'm doing my part, but it's really disheartening that I can't be there for everything. Yeah, I, th I think there's some balance you have to have to that, right? Which is, you know, as journalists, both all of us, you know, you're going to be there. Um, you want to be a voice for the people, but you kind of have to balance if you want to be there, like you said, if you don't want to, you don't want to catch this wrong. I mean, I went to a protest to do some coverage for a story I've coming out last the weekend before. And I was like, look, I will do this. But I kind of was keeping my distance like I was really on the sidelines, per se, not really getting too much in the mix. So you had to sort of battle that. What has it been like for you in terms of storytelling, right, in terms of actually finding stories. I mean, there's a lot going on during this time, whether it was COVID or whether now it's with the police brutality and a protest. Um, what has it been like for you finding those stories and still keeping the same focus that you have as a journalist through this time? So during the beginning stages, my first concern was the prisons, especially since this coronavirus is something that they still don't have like solid details about how it's transmitted, how long it stays on the surface. How, how actually you can prevent from really catching it. Can you catch it twice after recovering the first time? These are all still hypotheses that has not been proven yet with the scientists, right? So in the beginning stages, I thought about how prisons, whenever the flu season comes around, they have their own checks and balances to make sure that the inmates don't catch, like, you know, whooping cough or whatever craziness that from outside comes into the prison or the jail. So I wondered, like, how are they going to protect the inmates with something like this? And, of course, that, you know, I'm sure they thought about it, but they didn't do an action plan until it was too late. Because once a correction officer got it or another staffer who's with working in the prison got something, it went to the inmates. Because Or even when visitors came in, it went to the inmates after a visitor came. So they shut down the visitation. They were testing the correction officers, but they weren't testing the inmates. Then once the inmates got it and they're in these cells where or pods where there's like 60 people plus and they're right up underneath each other, you know, I knew it was going to become a problem. So what happened? Rikers Island, biggest prison in the, the world, if I'm not mistaken, they had the largest amount of coronavirus cases, positive ones. Um, I'm not sure about the number of deaths, but they definitely, whatever the number is, it must be the most out of the whole entire country, at least. So I did my coverage on the vantage point from the prisons, the inmates, the advocacy on that front. And, you know, I built my stories around when they started to let the um, low-level offenders out, those who had less than a year um, left on their sentence out and speaking to those people. And they were telling us about how the conditions were in the jails. Um, I spoke to a family member of someone who was actually making the New York City um, the hand sanitizer that Governor Cuomo was so proud that the inmates were making. I, I spoke to a family member whose relative was making it and then caught the virus. You know, it was just 
I've gotten anecdotes from all different walks of life from people, white, black, Asian. Like, it's just no, there was, there was no um, curtailing that this virus from saying, don't go to that race or that type of person. Everybody was affected by this. Um, so I was able to just get the stories on the criminal justice front doing that. And then after a while, I, I would vocalize to my editors, guys, y'all know what I mean when I say this, but I am sick and tired of writing coronavirus uh. when I'm single day yeah. and I remember in the midst of it all I remember catching a story about like a murder suicide or something crazy like that it was actually a um, homicide where a guy in Florida he used his wife's cell phone Florida man to, yeah, I was going to say it damn it <laughs> used his wife's cell phone to cover up the fact that he actually allegedly killed her and while the police were trying to find him because family and friends was like she doesn't, Gretchen doesn't speak like this. Like, who, what happened to her? And when they were trying to figure out, like, where she is and where the, hus the ex-husband is or soon-to-be ex-husband is, he was already almost towards the border to skip it and go to Mexico because he got away with killing this woman. They still haven't found this woman's body, but he tried to, he, he used the coronavirus in order to plan his escape. Wow. So when story came out i was like okay yeah i still gotta write coronavirus in the copy but it's another story but it's not it's not a corona story right it's not, not a corona, corona story, story right and so then i found another case where there was a homicide a couple in wisconsin were killed allegedly by the couple's adopted daughter's boyfriend and his friend but coronavirus ended up being a part of it too why because the parents were trying to make sure that the couple were socially distancing, but they kept going in and out of the house. And the mom already had suffered some type of underlying disease. And even though they weren't listening to the parents, they went to move the kids to another house just to make sure that they stayed away from them. And somehow some plot was some came about with the kids and the boyfriend went and killed the mom and dad. Wow. Wisconsin. Florida so, and Wisconsin. All the way in Wisconsin. So I was thinking, <laughs> you know what? I'm over here looking for crime, right? Like, this is crazy. I'm looking for crime during the coronavirus. But I then had to let my editors know, listen, we have to be vigilant about other things happening in this world. There are still children missing. Right. There are still people who have been found dead bodies. You know what I'm saying? Like, people yeah. are, there's still regular stuff going on. And then I remember that, well, what about those kids and those families who already suffer through some type of domestic violence issues? And now they're stuck in the house and they have nowhere to go. Mm -hmm. So then I did a whole deep dive on that aspect. Got all kind of advocates to talk about that just to bring awareness of the fact that we have to pay attention to these families. Because if I'm not mistaken, there was like a little kid who was found killed in the basement of his house because he was in a house that was full of violence. And the teachers were concerned that they're not able to watch this kid every day when he goes to school. So... While the virus was a distraction, which I always wonder, what else are we missing here, right? And what was mm. the thing we're missing? The senses. And mm -hmm. so mm. I used my platform to say, and especially when Cardi B put out her um her ad, I think she said, <laughs> she said something right. like that. I was like, yes, Cardi. So she I was right, it. too. She was right. Yeah. <laughs> so I retweet Cardi. I would tweet that article often about the domestic violence stuff. And I felt like I was still doing my part as a criminal justice reporter and a social justice reporter to put those issues on the front line, even though we have to pay attention to the coronavirus. So now that the police brutality is coming back into the fold of things, right? I still now tweet out the Johns Hopkins University coronavirus research numbers at least once a week to let people know like, hey, Knock, knock. Don't forget about this. Don't you forget about that. <laughs> right. So I feel like I've used my platform for those type of areas, and that's kind of how I've been juggling reporting. Nah, def def yeah. definitely. I mean, and how, so how does it change, I guess, now with obviously the police brutality going on and, you know, you being a black woman, I'm sure that this is something that's close to you. Obviously, Dexter, I know this is close to you as well. So how does this alter, I guess both of you can answer this then. How does this alter your job now? being that this has been the story, at least for the last two weeks or so, in terms of it overtaking the coronavirus? Um, I'll ask, have to ask that question to you, Brian. Doesn't this affect you, too? 
No, it does, but like I'm not covering it in the same way. Like you're at ABC and Dexter's at AccuWeather. I'm I'm doing the podcast, doing some other stuff, but I'm not at a platform where it's like I'm covering it from a news standpoint on a daily basis. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, I just... I, I, before Christina goes, I will say that you know, from my job, they and I spoke to you a little bit about this, Brian. I think Christina I told you this too. They, they haven't we haven't done anything with the protest, so I've kind of not been anything. I saw Christina's eyebrow raise to that. I haven't done anything around it in doing that. The only thing I've done around it was independently for a story that's coming out very shortly with sideline stories that you should see this week. Um, that's the only way. So I felt like I just got to do it in the way I do it. I would say my responsibility as a black journalist um, is not the same as what Christina does because she does more criminal justice and, and social justice in her reporting. But even with intertwining the sports with sideline stories, I think there's an importance, as Christina spoke about at the beginning of this, to make sure we have a voice. Um, as journalists in this move in this movement and to talk about what's going on and show people what is going on in the streets, how it's impacting different areas, whether it's sports, whether it's the criminal justice system. Um, so that's kind of the attitude I take towards it. Like it's a very important time. It's very important for us to make sure we're telling stories or giving a voice to the people that aren't being heard. And it's real. you can't shy away from it. There's a lot going on. I, don't, I just don't think there's any way you can shy away from this, even as a black journalist. Like, I'm black before I'm a journalist, right? So um, that's always going to matter. Nobody's going to take that or silence that from me in any way. So even if I'm not doing it for my main employer, I'm still do what I got to do to get those stories out there, no matter what. Christina, go. <laughs> okay. Well, it's so interesting that you said that because I felt like I saw some stuff on social media and pardon me, I'm only on Twitter. I gave up Facebook and Instagram for Lent and haven't turned back to it since and I oh. don't miss it. So you don't I, need it. I need it, right? You don't so need my, it. My media is Twitter. And what I've been seeing is kind of that conversation that you just brought up about I'm a black man first before I'm a journalist because I've been seeing people say I'm a journalist first before I'm a black person, fill in the blank, or I'm a journalist first before fill in the blank. And I'm like, are you sure about that? You were born a journalist. Yeah. Well, some people think they were born to be a journalist, which I think they're confusing with them actually being birthed in a, out of the canal and yeah. into a newspaper. <laughs> I don't know what they're thinking when they say that. I don't know what that means when they say that, but I, I think that's very, I'm glad you put I that feel out. like they're the same people that probably say they don't see color. Like, they, that's probably, oh, they, they might be in the same, yeah. they might be in the same boat. I feel like it might exist. But go ahead. I thought yeah, yeah. it was something different, but it's that. a long explanation. Yeah, yeah. They bleed um, print ink or whatever. So Ugh. stupid. Whatever. But to answer the question, um, I have been covering it in a sense where, just like Dexter says, I make sure to put it out there, make sure that we have a voice. But more importantly, and it's funny because my mom hears my morning meetings that I have at the office with my office, um, and at least once a week I have a rant. And my morning rant of lately, and it was before it was the looting and the fires and the Molotov cocktails being thrown and the arrests that you've been hearing about and the allegations of possibly the Antifa, doing all of the stuff amongst the, the peaceful protesters. Before it all started, I said to my editors, let's please be mindful of calling the people who are peaceful protesters or demonstrators rioters. That is very offensive when they have a message that needs to be told. The Black Lives Matter movement has nothing to do with tearing down the community and trying to build it back up. Everybody has their own opinions about that but that is not their mission. So can we, re can we refrain from calling these people rioters unless it warrants the title? Because they were ready to call them rioters before anything happened. And I just, I wasn't having it. But then my, my point went mute that same day. Uh, but I was glad I said it, you know? Right. And, that, yeah. and, and that's the importance of having, you know, a black person or a black woman in those spaces to be able to push back and, and challenge that. Hey everybody, Brian Fonseca here to tell you about the multi-time award-winning series Out Now that is Side Hustle, which is created, executive produced, hosted, and edited by me, Brian Fonseca. Side Hustle is a sit-down interview series that taps into sacrifice, the odd avenues taken to progress closer to your ultimate dreams, and some jokes as well. 
because you know we always gotta find it funny and we always gotta find time to laugh side hustle has been named to the best tv and web series category at several different film festivals including the 2020 international new york film festival the new york movie awards and a host of others be sure to watch season one in full right now on either brianfonseca.net or youtube.com slash brianfonseca brian with a y remember all eight episodes, trailers, teasers, and promo are free to watch, and the series as a whole is approximately two hours long. Everyone has a story, everyone has a side hustle. Be sure to watch season one, out now. I want to ask you something, Christina, on the sports side, because it ties into the story that has come out this week uh, with Sideline Stories, which is... What do you think about how the sports world has responded to all this? We talked a lot about how corporations have responded to this, but I know you've seen some stuff in the sports world. The NFL has responded to this. Um, everybody seems to want to get in the conversation. Yeah, I, I feel you on the rolling of the eyes. What, what do you think about what you've seen in the sports world and how people have responded to this? So I find it interesting that more or less everybody well, – a large majority of corporations have put their opinion into what's going on in the world. And I feel like maybe 60% might be on the fence of being genuine. Maybe 20% of that 60 are like, I'm just going to put this out there because I don't want to hear anything about it from my end. Like, let me just placate to what the cause is. And I don't want nobody calling me out for not saying anything, right? When I, NFL, when I saw the NFL, when I saw the NFL statement, I was like, "But why? But why did they feel that they had to add?" I'm reading the statement, right? I'm looking at this thing, and I'm like, "But but but why did they feel they had to mention that Ahmad Arbery was the cousin of a player?" So you telling me you want to be doing this if he wasn't a cousin of a player? Mm. Is that what you're saying me? Like, where did that even need to be mentioned when you're talking about something that's a grand scheme of things, the systemic racism and, and the anti-police brutality has nothing to do with this player being re- related to one of the victims? Who cares? If you wanted to reach out to that one player to make sure that the family is good and, you know, the funeral costs were paid for back in February, because let's not forget, yes. we didn't learn about Ahmaud Arbery until May. Yep. Mm, that's <laughs> right. But then that does a disservice to the local reporting that has been aware of Ahmaud Arbery since February 23rd when everything went down, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. So fast forward to the statement. I found it to be just like, first of all, y'all got a lot more issues going on based on how you've been acting towards um, Colin Kaepernick. Y'all haven't even resolved that from years past. You haven't addressed any of the matters of him expressing his right to kneel how many seasons ago? You let this man drown, essentially, and then you ain't even try to throw him a worm in years. But here you come, Johnny come lately, and try to be up in this topic that he's been trying to get y'all to be on board about for how long? And damn the other players who came out and said, well, that Drew Brees and, you know, all the other, like, you know, wannabe cotton pickers. Go ahead. Y'all go ahead up and deal with that. Like, nobody wants to hear your opinion because you already messed up before with an opinion about him kneeling. Nobody wants to hear from you again. When I heard that Drew Brees said something, I thought it was a repeat of the last time he said something. I said... But why is he still talking? Who's his publicist? Who are his people? Shut him up, right? All fear and it wasn't even asked. He wasn't even asked a super direct question. It was like to Yahoo. And it was to Yahoo Finance. It wasn't even like Yahoo Sports. That was the weird shit about it, too. It, just, it was realize, like, yo, dog, what are you doing? <laughs> I didn't realize it was not even a, a outlet. I don't even know who the interviewer was. I'd Nobody never knows. seen him. No and, that's, and that's no disrespect to him. No, it's no disrespect it to was him. Just, it was just a totally random platform for Drew Brees to just give that stance. It was like it was like if he did an interview with, like, I don't know, one of these plus networks. It's like if I just saw Drew Brees on Netflix one day on some <laughs> show I've never heard of, and he's doing the interview about this. I'm like, what the fuck is he doing here talking <laughs> about this? Why? Why is this happening, right? And 
you know, I understand also when it comes to like the NBA, out of all the teams that did not say anything, mm. is it still that the Knicks has been quiet? Well, they said something, but they didn't really say anything. Like they put out a statement, but it really said nothing. Yeah. It, it, it's a, it's well, very... and, 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 and you have to mention the emails. Oh, right. So so I don't know if you were aware of this, Christina. It started with Pablo Torre from ESPN basically getting the email that Dolan sent, uh, James Dolan, owner of the Knicks, to his employees saying that he would not be making a public statement. Um, Mm -hmm. Now, you know that ties in with something I told you about yesterday, but we'll leave that off of this podcast. Um, That occurred. And so you see there's no reason for a voice. There was some outrage, as you've seen on social media. And then came a statement, but the statement didn't really say anything. And so I guess I'll throw this question out because I think it's good for this discussion, right? Whether it's teams, whether it's corporations, news outlets, whatever. Do you think that these organizations should make a statement? Are the statements necessary? Does the silence uh, speak loudly? Or do statements that actually don't address systemic racism or police brutality, do those statements speak loudly as well too? Like, What do you think the responsibility is? of corporations in this situation? So I found it odd when I got a statement in response to the climate we're in right now from my wax company. I was like, what did y'all, why am I hearing from y'all opinion about things going on in the world? Like, cool, you, you sent out the warning about the coronavirus and closing down and things like that. That was necessary because this is a health situation. But when you're getting an alert with a long statement about Black Lives Matter and that, that, that from your waxing company, I was like, all right, we already touching territory of very personal spaces. And now you're <laughs> going to come to my ideologies and who I am as an individual. I was okay with y'all with just my personal spaces. Now you all up in my thought process now. Now I'm looking at y'all a little sideways, like what's really going on now in your corporation that you felt you had to say this? I feel like companies tend to forget. And this is something that I live by. You know, when you go to the theme park and you see the rules that are listed, mm-hmm. and you read those rules and you're like... Brian doesn't well, read those rules. He just breaks them. He's just like, nah, I'm not reading those rules. <laughs> and Brian, the rule breaker, will be another list on the rules list at some point for breaking a rule, right? But I always question when I see a rule that seems a little outlandish where they're like, don't jump over the fence with your shoes untied. <laughs> While they're going to touch, you know, and make sure that your your belt buckle is also tightened before you jump the fence. So I'm like, well, damn, who jumped the fence with their shoes on tight and their belt buckle unloosened for now to be a rule to not do it that way? Right. right? Also, who wears so, a belt buckle to a theme park? I'm not. That's just me. You are just running. I'm, tie- I'm tying up my shorts. <laughs> I'm just tying up my shorts and going at it. That's it. <laughs> And then they got the, they it's got a the, yeah, it's a whole thing. Welcome to the theme park. All right, whatever, man. <laughs> <laughs> but my point is, whenever somebody puts a statement out about a topic that nobody asks you for, now it's a question about, well, what's going on in your company? I, now I want to know, well, how many people of color are you employing? How many people have filed complaints against you to the um, any type of ethics committee? Like, what's going on at your company that you feel you have to say this? That's when it becomes a question for me. I think that's a fair question. Do you think it's more that, or do you think that maybe the companies feel that, as some people are saying, the silence is complicit, and if they don't say anything, then people will probably use that against them in a in an atmosphere where everybody, or mostly everybody, as we mentioned earlier, seems to be saying at least something. Well, I would rather your actions prior to a... I'd rather you be proactive versus reactive, right? So if the companies like the NFL, NHL, you know, golf leagues and, you know, FIFA, if those companies prior to all of this were not displaying racial divide, and then you wouldn't have to put out a statement. You know what I'm saying? Like, I wouldn't have to question your abilities to actually show that you're on the right side of history right now. Be proactive. Like, show and prove, like, oh, they've been giving donations to Black Lives Matter since they, you know, came to came to, came to shine in 2014. Or they have, you know, donated to this company, or they have had participation, and they have hired people from so-and-so. 
do it before it becomes a situation so it doesn't have to be now you hurrying up and scrambling to make a statement. That way yeah. your, your silence during the time is already spoken for because you've hmm. been doing the work already. Right. No, I think I think it's yeah. a good point. Like you said, be proactive. And I think I think my big thing is just like, and we sort of alluded to this in the last episode we did, is what happens from here. Like, is this going to be something like is this is the energy gonna be the same? july august september october november and beyond that even if and when there's a new president like that doesn't necessarily mean things are going to change like dramatically you know what i mean like so the way everything is going how is that going to progress i think that's what i'm sort of looking at now because i've already seen changes in the timeline so to speak let's use twitter as an example i wouldn't use that as a barometer but obviously the energy last week different from the energy this week where people are kind of talking about other things not really talking about as much of the police brutality that's been going on and i feel like there's been fewer protests because of the initial protests so now what's going to happen next week and are we going to forget about this like are people going to continue to try to push the agenda and actually make change and i think that's sort of my concern is because a lot of companies uh that have the money that people can use for this they're the ones who are just kind of putting out the statement. And are they going to do anything after that? I would reckon to say most of them probably not. So, but I don't know. What do you guys think? Well, that's well, kind of... Go, no, go ahead, Christina. Go. No, no, no. Go ahead. Go ahead, Zach. No, I was, gonna, I was just going to add that that's kind of my concern, right, to what Brian is saying. I have a slight concern about sports returning or coming back too quickly that it will distract us or take us away uh, from what's going on, right? We have our foot on the gas. And we need to keep this going as people who can lift their voices in all different ways. And there's no one way to do it. I'm not saying everybody's got to be out in the street or everybody's got to do something. But we have all different ways to do it. And I think we have to keep our eyes on the prize. But I do think, as Brian is saying, you can feel the shift from last week to this week, at least on social media. doesn't mean people aren't angry. You just don't want people to stop talking about the conversation. So, yeah, I'd ask you, Tina, are you concerned about people letting up on this, even journalists, right? Like we kind of have to keep to it as well too. Are you, are you concerned about there being any kind of like drop off from this or, I mean, social justice is not going anywhere, right? Even what you do, cr criminal, criminal justice reporting, it's not going to go away, but you kind of are in a situation where you have, a, there's a lot of eyes on this and why we wanted to talk to you, you know, are you concerned that it will like subdue and not bring really what you do to the forefront as it is right now? I think my concern is how how a normal sports fan, a real fanatic, where they are tuned into every channel year round, how can they not still have enough energy to watch sports as well as care to sound the alarm when there's injustices continuing to happen under their umbrella? While your timelines may be shifting the language, we just had another police involved shooting caught on a Wendy's surveillance camera just yesterday. Yeah. Great Star Brooks was killed by Atlanta Police Department and they burned the Wendy's down. Okay? Yeah. So, and I said this after Ahmaud Arbery's case came to light. What happened after that? I said, okay, we're mad now, but it's going to happen again. Mm -hmm. And it's going to happen again. And it's going to happen again. And what has happened since Avon Arbery in the beginning of May? We have had the understand. We have brought to light because again, Breonna Taylor's case happened March 13th. The local reports had it, but it became national news after Avon Arbery. And then what happened? We had George Floyd. And then what happened? Now we got Rayshard Brooks. And there were other injustices in between that. We have Stephen Taylor in California. You have, now I understand there were two black people found hanging in California. Oh, yeah. yep. heck is going on? But yet, I understand and I appreciate Minnesota's making changes. Atlanta's um, Mayor Keisha um, Bottoms-Lance, she, she's making changes left and right. The, the police department um, chief, she stepped down. Things are happening. Laws are being um, created. I mean, for God's sake, you would have thought, you would have thought after six years, after Eric Garner was seen on camera getting murdered by Daniel Pantaleo in Staten Island, you would think New York State, out of all states, would have been the first to ban chokeholds. Why weren't we the first? Why did that just happen only after Minnesota did it? There's a yeah. lot of work that needs to be done. There's a, a lot. lot of work that needs to be done. And I would think 
maybe these lawmakers are also sports fans, right? And they're able to watch the. I remember Obama was. He did a March Madness bracket every year. Right. Yeah. You can be about the cause and still watch sports. You don't have to pick and choose. I feel like the athletes, whoever they are that feel a certain way, can still advocate while still getting on that court and doing what they're paid to do. I think it can yeah. all be done at the same time, just without the distractions, if they feel they cannot be distracted. For adults. Well, that, that, yeah, and that's the thing. It, it's, it's. I think if people, you want to feel that people don't aren't distracted. And I, I do have some concern about people who are just going to say, we need sports to return so badly. Let's get back in that mode, and then we don't. We're not talking about these issues anymore because they aren't seeing people out in the streets as much anymore. They aren't seeing the conversation on social media, and then we start talking about who's better, LeBron or Kawhi or this dude, and we kind of lose the focus on that. I think the athletes are. I think, as I said to you, Christina, in a conversation, I've said this to Brian too. All of us working in America, all of us people of color, black people, it's incumbent on us to hold. The, the people who we work for accountable. And that's the same the same thing I would say for NBA players, NFL players, MLS players, MLB, whatever. We have to hold them accountable. That's how we can stop the distraction. And so where I, where I see things going where if players want to say, hey, no, 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 if we come back, we need this in place, I'm okay with that. I just think you have to hold the people accountable because most of the people in the top of these leagues are white. The people that have the TV deals are white. And there are the way those the reason those leagues look the way they do, not the people on the court and on the field, the people up top is because of systemic racism. So we can't ignore that. The systems and the way that works is because of that. And I think the only the way you can have to to change is you have to is you have to fight it in, in, in that way. And I think it takes a lot of from the players within challenging that system. I think that has to happen too. I have a question in regards to that. As a sports journalist, I want, and I've been very proud of the sports journalists who have been able to keep their jobs. Let's not forget, they were quick to cut the sports department. They did it at the New York Post immediately. Like, oh, there's no sports. Y'all got to go. Yep. I appreciated the, the sports journalists who have been able to still do their job by thinking outside the box. They don't need the, the team that they cover to play in order to get a job done that week. I'm so proud that they have been able to do, to incorporate sports into what's going on right now, right? So I want to know, is it still possible as a sports reporter to still keep on top of these companies to make sure things like microaggression isn't happening in the in the corporate ladders within the NBA, the NFL? Can that still be a topic covered from a sports journalist perspective? I'm going to say this. I know Brian's going to back me up on this. Yes, it can be. But the problem with this is you're going to need people who actually care to look into those things. As much as, Christina, we need someone like you that's going to look into issues of social injustice and, you know, criminal justice reform. I know I can count on you to do that. Readers can count on you to do that, right? But Brian always makes this point to me, and he's right about this. We look at things. We'll take the NBA, for example. We were just talking about this before this podcast. The prominent writers in the NBA, and some of them we love. We love, we've had them as guests on this podcast. They're white guys, right? You need black people that are going to look at that and say, black reporters are going to say, hey, people of color reporters, hey, there's a problem here at the top in the NBA. Systemic racism is why these leagues look the way that they do. Who's going to really challenge that and do that? Who's going to look and hold accountable and say, whether it's on a podcast or in a story, yo, the NFL statement that they put out, that's, that's whack. It doesn't serve anybody. Now, in my story I have this week that's out, sideline stories, we touch on that. And it takes, and I'm not bigging up myself, but I'm saying it takes other journalists like myself to really push into those stories and really talk to people about those stories. And so when I did that story, and I have um, Jamal Murphy, a friend of mine who writes for The Undefeated, DRB Walker, who writes for Deadspin, black man and a black woman that are able to combine in the story and talk about this, that stuff matters. Those voices matter. And so I think it's possible to answer your question, Christina. I'm going to let Brian talk on it too. But I think you need people of color that actually have seen the systemic oppression, even within sports, to be able to be journalists to speak out on that. The problem is, even in the sports space, we don't have a lot of that. You brought up the New York Post, which we both used to work for. Some of our people who got, know the people that we got laid off, two of the great black writers gone within that company that we know, that have done good stuff and were mentors to me. So... That stuff is disappointing, but we need more of those people. We need more diversity in sports journalism. Go ahead, Brian. Yeah. Um, 
I do, I guess, tip my hat, imaginary hat, or this hat right here, uh, to some of the sports writers who've been able to, yeah, adapt, I guess. But there are some that I've seen that, like, it's all of a sudden dawned on them for the first fucking time, like, yo, I should do stuff beyond sports. And I'm not going <laughs> to fucking give them a pat on the back for not having the care or the range to do this. Like, because there are a lot of fucking people who want to cover this stuff. Like, this in particular, the police brutality and how, yes, you can tie it into sports or whatever. The athletes themselves care about this. They want to actually talk about this with some of us, right? Mm -hmm. But there are a lot of people, and this is what happens when you have black players, black leagues, white reporters, and white media. The white players are not going to fucking ask them about this in large part. Like, Howard Beck will do it. Zach Lowe will do it. But for the most part, like, the white reporters are not going to do it. And this is how you have, one, a beef between certain players and certain media that they always clash because there's not, you know, there's not a lot of people that can identify with one another. And I think that's a big problem, too, is because what we need to see is legitimate, like, legitimate diversity from editors in particular who are going to go out and hire Hispanic, Black, Asian, whoever, just people that can identify with some of these athletes. You go to a, a baseball clubhouse or whatever, right? And how many how many reporters, white reporters, are going to be able to speak Spanish to people who only speak Spanish? Because you have a lot of baseball players that are Cuban, and their shit goes on in Cuba. They might want to talk about that here for a good story. You're not going to be able to understand that, you know, Mr. Myers. And then you have freaking somebody from, like, the Dominican Republic. That's not a real reporter. I just threw a name out there. Somebody from the Dominican Republic, uh, Rep- Republic uh, they have shit going on there that they might want to speak about Puerto Rico, the same thing. And then with NBA players in the black community, how many writers could really identify with that? So that's a whole it's, – it's really starts at just the top 1% of America, and then it just trickles down into everything else, as both of you know. And that's – that's what needs to be reformed along with other things. Like we need police reform. We need media reform. We need reform <laughs> in government. We just need reform all by all accounts, all the way around. So I think that in terms of sports writing, there are a lot of people who I just don't care to read because yeah. their stuff is just like, it's whatever. It's one dimensional. The Sports Walk is back. Watch season three of Backpack Broadcasting's original web series that brings you the opinions of real sports fans. The first two seasons and current season are available now for viewing on the Sports Walk YouTube channel and Facebook page. Check out the 2017 NYC WebFest official selection and see what other sports fans have to say on the hottest issues in sports today. It's easy. Just take the Sports Walk. Christina, I'm really glad you asked that question. You know, that's why it's always good when you have other journalists on here, because I think you'll ask questions about this. And I think you know this as well as anybody from your days of court reporting and doing that and just how few black and brown people we saw even covering criminal justice. Right. In my time of knowing you here and what, what, what we've done, just seeing that it's really the same way on the sports side. And I personally feel like there is a need to go beyond the box scores. Like as a journalist right now, somebody who loves sports. I don't care about that anymore. I'm not anybody could do a game recap and tell you Yo, who scored and, this and did what. There are things deeper than the story. Just as you know, there are things deeper than the courtroom, right? There are things deeper than laws. It connects to people and communities. And if I, I hate to use the real journalist kind of thing, but if you're really about this journalist game and this is really what you love to do, then you gotta dig deep in the stories. You gotta really get in the communities and you really gotta find. And that's whether you're doing sports, criminal justice. Any other beat, that stuff matters. If you ain't connecting with the people, like Brian said, I'm not really trying to read it or trying to watch well, you it. Know, you know what the problem is? There are a lot of, I don't know if I want to say a lot. There are a section of people that are doing that. I mean, that are not really doing that, but people are telling them that they're doing that. So they're skating on by with whatever their platform is. There's a specific section of people where this goes on, where... They'll do it, it won't it'll be it'll be a feature, but it'll still be sports related. But then people will be like, oh, you know, you did that. Uh, you know okay. what I'm saying? Like that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like this kind of thing. And it's like 
it gives people the feeling that they're actually doing something more than the game when it's never really been about more than the game. So I can't really respect it if you just just now started doing things because your hand has been forced and because things have been changed around you because there are no more games to cover or talk about and you just became a non-stick to sports person. Like, I just can't, like, yo. So, like, I fucking left a gig where I was covering the Nets because I didn't want to talk about the fucking Nets anymore and I wanted to do shit about more than just sports. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you really, if you really want to put the shit on the line, then actually fucking do it. Christine, we're not, you know laugh- I mean? we're not laughing at you. We're laughing at the passion. I know Christina's not... <laughs> Christina, do you feel like? But this is this this is like this is how I am off Michael. Oh yeah, definitely, absolutely. <laughs> Christina, do you what what about on your side of things? Because I could also see how for you and what you do, um, how do I say this? The the waters can kind of get muddied, right? Where people think, oh look, Christina Correga, she's doing the cool thing to do this criminal justice reporting and you might in a way be like yo 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 I've been doing this like I'm like I'll tell people don't come with my homegirl like that she's been doing this for a minute okay like I've been doing this for a while like this is like people might look at what you do as the trendy thing you understand what I'm saying whereas there are reporters like yourself who've really been doing this for a while and trying to be a voice for us out here are you worried about that happening in in the section of journalism that you're doing right now I didn't think about it till you said it. I'll be honest with you. I didn't think about it till you said it, and I could so... You know what? You know what? (laughs) I really realized... Okay, the word trend in journal... and, and criminal justice being on the same sentence... Bothers my soul. I'm but sure I it does. <laughs> but I understand, as you're saying it, how that can become a thing. And let me tell you how it already is. Right? Because I, I had a conversation with a, a mentor, supervisor at my company, um, ABC, and I said to them, you know, I, I truly appreciate that we're doing all of this social criminal justice stuff on all the platforms. I mean, Nightline is doing it full time. We got ABC News Live with Lindsey Davis. We got David Muir seriously out at funerals for, for George Floyd. They are there, and they're talking about all of these different um, dynamics of criminal justice covering the... Um, we have, you know, political reporters who always cover um, stuff going on at the um, the Supreme Court. Like, they just have people planted at those um, areas all the time. But what I said to this person was that, understand, criminal justice isn't going anywhere. You know, social justice issues isn't going anywhere. This is not a hot topic. And I said exactly what I said to you guys about being proactive versus reactive when it comes to companies, I told them they cannot drop the ball with this topic after things die down, quote unquote. They have to stay on top of it because I found myself over the years using my platform explaining the smallest things to even senior reporters who I thought knew what they were doing. Hmm. You know, you're out on the scene, you're at court, you're covering in an arraignment. And at the end of the arraignment, there's always somebody who asks a dumb question to the to the attorney or someone. And I will never forget the seasoned reporter had the nerve to open up her mouth and ask the prosecutor who was walking out of court, um, is was that just the uh, um the, the grand jury indictment announcement? Whoa. I think I was like, where do you think we are? Yeah, what yeah, how do you yeah? How did you not know this? Like, first of all, first of all, we're in Brooklyn Criminal Court. Court. That would happen in Manhattan. No, no, no. Not oh, even. Yes. Oh, so I guess I'm, I'm as lost as her. <laughs> it would happen in Supreme Court. Oh, right. Yes. You know oh, sorry. She said grand jury. My fault. She did say grand jury. Oh, yeah. Well, grand yeah. Jury. Right. So if the lay person and clearly veteran journalists don't mm-hmm. even know if they're at an arraignment for a criminal complaint versus a grand jury indictment, that conversation has to continue. So if people think that this is a trend topic, oh, they're going to be sadly mistaken. And you know what's going to make the, the strong survive? Those who've been doing it all this time. Because mm. the trend writer folk, they're going to go away. You make Brian happy with that. You don't got to worry about that. You're going to see a bunch of ads for people to cover criminal justice. Oh, we need a criminal justice reporter today. But they going <laughs> to realize they needed more people. They should have mm. been on top of this. It's going to be a team of folks because it's not just 
go into court and cover mm-hmm. in an arraignment. Oh, no, no, sir. The same yeah. way it's like that for sports. And you know what? I'm glad that we're having this discussion about how reporting in sports is what it is, because I tell you what, when I was learning how to write about, I think it was like a news writing one-on-one course when I was going to school, went to St. John's University. And when I covered sports for the Torch paper there, I remember the editor at the time for the Torch said to me, you don't have to stay for the whole game. And no, I was covering a lacrosse game. Mm. You don't have to stay for the whole game. And I was like, what do you mean? I want to see exactly what happened The in-betweens every quarter. Like, I want to see it all. And I've never covered lacrosse, let alone watched it independently. So I wanted to really get to know this sport. Right. Don't, don't, you don't have, just wait for the scores to come out. You could just write the in-betweens, you know, who scored what. It is really not that big of a deal. I was like, okay, so this is sports reporting. Okay. So then I covered a <laughs> basketball game, covered a basketball game, and another teacher tells me, you don't got to stay for the whole game. Mm. Basketball really don't start to the last two minutes. I said, what? I've been watching basketball. This shit really ain't that hard. It's not that difficult. Just, just show up at the fourth quarter, watch the whole fourth quarter if you want. But you really don't have to be there to the last two minutes. I said, what the hell is happening here? And then as I realized what they were saying and I actually wrote the piece, I'm like, well, damn, this don't take much of nothing, right? But those are the people that get the glory. Those are the journalists who get the front pages and they get the salaries. And what are you doing to earn it? You're showing up the last minute all the time. Right. So, Ended. Right, and 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 not and and to be clear, not that we're saying it about all sports journalists, but th- I think that goes to my point of what I said earlier, which is this is the best way. I say. Anybody can write a game recap. You got what I'm saying? Yeah. Not everybody can write a feature. Though there's two. Anybody you want to be a, a, a true journalist, just like anybody can go show up to court. Okay, like mm-hmm. I've been look, and I'll say this: I'm a journalist. I've been to court when I did stuff for News 12. But I, uh, let's just keep it clear. On no way, shape, or form do I have the same level of competence as my sister Christina does. It is not even close. She does this at a very high level, and I do it here on that. And that's just what it is, right? And so you need, you have to recognize the levels between stuff, right? And I think in all journalism, sometimes people don't, but you made a good point that I saw Brian go like this and lean back and was happy about, which is that the fake get exposed, and to your point. And I agree with you on that, Christina. No matter what it is you're doing, whether it's sports, whether it's criminal justice, the, the frauds are always going to get exposed. And the real people yeah. are going to see the real ones and the real ones that are, that are out there shining like yourself. And, you know, we know we know what time it is. So you're right. Even if people think it's trendy, we're going to see the frauds anyway. And Brian, Brian hates frauds, okay? Brian and, can't stand yeah. the frauds. But, and to put a bow on this, this also brings me back to a conversation that Dexter and I had as the coronavirus was originally spreading. We were talking about, yo, like what, what could be the future of the sports media industry or the media industry in general? Are you necessarily worried? And we're both kind of like, not really, you know, we'll figure it out. We're, we're, you know, the, the, if you've done enough, if you're, if you're diverse enough in the content that you've covered and your interests are aligned a certain way and like, you'll be able to figure it out. If you're one dimensional and just want to do one thing and stick with this one thing and only do this one thing, whatever it is very specifically, then you're not going to last this. You're just not. And that's what you should tell for people listening should take to Christina's story is that even in college, she was diversifying her skill set and doing sports. And as I did in news, and that only makes you a better reporter. Um, it's a more diverse reporters. Now, before we get you out of here, Christina, I do got to ask you a question. Uh, 45, he had announced <laughs> that, Ryan knows where I'm going with this, he had announced that oh, he was going to have a rally in Tulsa, Oklahoma on June 19th, also known as Juneteenth, as all his black folks know, the day uh, we got our freedom, uh, somewhat, because we not still really free. Um, that annoyed me. It comes across to me as this man was clearly trolling. Um in a, in a way, and then you know there's a lot of talk about it, and it got moved to June twentieth that he's going to do this do this rally. Do oh, you, did it really? I didn't yeah, it got moved. Yeah. Yeah. Do Do you think? I think it was purposefully done by the administration oh, and him I to mean, do that. Do, do Do you think that he was trolling? And how concerned are you about if this man is reelected? How this could how that could actually have an impact on social justice reform? 
in this country moving forward? Canadian citizenship. <laughs> you're not down. You're not down to move to Canada. <laughs> no, I've, re- I've really, I've really asked Dexter. I was like, "Yo, son, if he gets reelected, like, would you would you move to Toronto? Because I'm like, you know what I'm saying? Like, the conversation in 2016 about where people are going to migrate to after he gets elected because they knew the possibility was there. But to but answer now, question- now that we've seen four years though, I mean, now it might be like different. You know, you might want to get your application in early. Yeah, you okay. might. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> too, too many Puerto Ricans in Toronto, so I can start something there. <laughs> You'll be surprised when you get there. I'm telling you. Nah, I look this up. Of all the of all the Latin American like places or whatever, Puerto Ricans are like last in terms of us being in like Toronto. Huh? huh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we, we we like the South, I guess, and New York, and Philly, and Chicago, and Cleveland. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> go ahead, Christina. So. When I heard that they were going to be having this on Juneteenth in Tulsa on the is it the hundredth or ninety ninth year anniversary of the Wall Street bombing, right? Yep. Black Wall Street oh, bombing. Black Wall Street massacre. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I believe it was. Is it ninety nine years or I is think, it a hundred? I think it's ninety nine. Ninety nine next year will be one. I'm not sure. Yeah, Which would yeah, make it ninety nine years? Yes. Either way, yeah. either way, the history of this area, like, come on, right? So I knew that, once again, this man just doesn't give a damn about us still. He will get his trumpets, they'll be out in full force, and the flags will be waving, and all the foolishness will happen that day. And in my thought of thoughts, I said to myself, maybe the Black Lives Matter folks are planning a revolt for when they show up. Just to be the anti-protesters, and it's really going to become that race war that seems to be brewing in the kettle of thought that I have, right? But then I listened to CNN this morning, and I saw Dr. Ben Carson, who's now become a disgrace to our history, but, you know, he's still a part of the administration. And he said that when he asked President Trump about, you know, his rationale and how he felt about the, the movement, whatever his rally being moved to another date, he, Ben Carson said, and I quote, I was pleasantly surprised to learn how much President Trump knew about Juneteenth. Hmm. And I said, uh. and then he went on to say, and now I'll paraphrase, that um, the president was expected to give a message of hope and to address what was what happened and to go moving forward, dot, dot, dot. Right. So I was like, so this was a move for him to say what exactly? Now I want to hear what the speech was going to be, right? Mm-hmm. I don't think the speech, I don't believe that. I don't believe that. I'll just put it like that. I don't believe that. We've seen time and time again with this administration. They say one thing and another thing happens, and then they deflect what they just said that happened as if we didn't see what just happened. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Right. Yeah. It's, it's it's hard for me to believe Magic that. Trick. It's hard for me to believe that he doesn't know. This is somebody who has a, a racist history of comments, and that he did not know the significance of having the rally on that date. And we have already seen what the crowds in his base is. And I'm not actually sure that the people that would have showed up to that rally in Tulsa, Oklahoma, like the white folks in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I'm not even sure they know the history of the Black Wall Street massacre and all that stuff. And if there was a counter Black Lives Matter protest there, I don't think they would have been ready for the heat that was going to come for their next. So that would have been really interesting. But 45 is a troll. I think he knows what he's doing. That's really it. He's not deaf to anything. He's playing the game that for some reason people are still buying into. And sadly, I feel... We're going to have to deal with him another four years, guys. Oh, that's not making me happy. doesn't make anybody happy. I don't. Me personally. I'm nervous about it, but I don't don't think it's a... I'm kind of with Christina. I don't think it's a done deal for Biden. I'm I'm concerned about it, but uh, I guess Brian's going to be moving to Toronto. Yeah, I mean, look. He's ready. He's ready for the start of Puerto Rico, Toronto. All right, well, hopefully Brian doesn't have to move to Toronto. You're still here. You're still on the ground doing the good work that you do, Christina. We want to thank you for coming back, even though this time we were not all together. We were socially distancing. Um, next. next time. hope Next time, hopefully, or, you know, we'll, we'll see. But we'll, we'll, we'll definitely have you on. Um, 
People, you can follow Christina on Twitter. She's not on other platforms anymore. <laughs> you can follow her on Twitter. And all her work uh, for abcnews.com, the great work she does. I know she's going to be a strong voice uh, throughout this. That's it for this episode of the Ain't Hard to Tell podcast. For the wonderful, hardworking Christina Carrega, Brian Fonseca, who might move to Toronto, I'm Dexter Henry. Till next time, y'all. Peace.